Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by Rabbi Adam Kligfeld. We all, we all react to death. And we all react to death differently. And even within ourselves, we react to different deaths differently. And there seem to be death and devastation headlines every day these days. But two dominated our inboxes and our RSS feeds this week. And the extent to which one dominated more than the other says something about our world and ourselves or both. The one that might be ringing most recently for you is the catastrophe of the Titan, the submersible vehicle that apparently imploded as it neared the ruins of the Titanic, killing all five aboard. The plot lines of this tragedy are layered and they are ironic. A vehicle intentionally sharing the first five letters of the seven letters of the most famous maritime tragedy meeting its demise within meters of the ocean graves of those who died over a century ago. And I learned from the New York Times this week that Wendy Rush, the wife and now widow of Stockton Rush, the CEO of OceanGate, who helped create and was steering the submersible Titan, who is she? She just happens to be the great-great-granddaughter of Isidore and Ida Strauss, who are amongst the most famous to perish on the Titanic. So it's not only that Wendy's husband died along with four others, he was piloting while paying some macabre homage to the location where his great-great-parents' parents-in-law lost their lives. He is also rather painfully now appearing in videos recorded a year or two ago, expressing his unrelenting focus on bringing people to that site, including his admitting to taking safety shortcuts in order to get the submersible ready for commerce. All of this is just terribly awful. But earlier in this week, a different story loomed. And then because the half-life of such tragedies' presence in our consciousness is so short, it disappeared. This is the story of one of the worst tragedies to, the, to befall migrants fleeing war-torn parts of Africa and Asia and trying to relaunch lives in Europe. The boat carried at least 450 migrants, maybe up to 700, mostly Libyans and Pakistanis. A picture of it was taken by air just moments before it capsized. 104 were rescued from the waters. 80 had been confirmed dead. Hundreds more are suspected to have died, which would make it the deadliest shipwreck in the Mediterranean in 2023, which is saying a lot, unfortunately. According to one website, in the last nine years, it is expected that more than 26,000 migrants and asylum seekers have died in the Mediterranean alone. That's a horrific number, as are the circumstances of many of those deaths. On the one hand, a death is a death. 
but imagining the abject horror this week of the children in the hold of that boat and the way that they met their deaths is appropriately haunting. Our tradition avers that every single life is precious and of infinite value. And every death is a loss of incalculable size. We revere the notion that we are created but Selim Elohim, all of us in God's image. And when someone dies and there's no one to attend to the death, it becomes a mitzvah, an obligation of the highest order, trumping nearly every other Jewish duty to attend to it. And when someone dies and there's no one to sit shiva, Maimonides famously rules that the community must assign someone as the mourner to sit shiva as if she were family. Every life is valuable and every death is noted. In our society, it appears, some more than others. There were fair and there were unfair and very biting responses to these dual tragedies. Some bemoaned how quickly we, we turned our attention from the watery deaths of hundreds to the attempt to spare from a watery death a different set of five. Some dig deeper and offered a Marxian or socialist critique and said that it tells you the extent we still live in an unequal and unjust class society when the world is focused on thinking about and spending millions of dollars and thousands of people power hours trying to save the lives of five exceedingly wealthy, intrepid adventurers whose names we all now know, who spent upwards of six figures to make this pilgrimage to the Titanic, when we still don't even have the full number of victims of the Mediterranean tragedy, let alone their names, who spent their dollars to try to make better lives for themselves. Someone's even harsher, and below the belt if you ask me, saying that the five who died in the North Atlantic this week <clears throat> were asking for it on some level. Tempting fate by engaging in such a risky and expensive excursion, not to save or even enrich their lives, but for sport, akin to someone killed by the very wild animal they were out to hunt. What do I make of all of this, aside from feeling very sad for all the loss of life? As usual, I turn to the Torah and our Parsha for some partial insight. As Maya has already taught us, Korach is the story of a populist uprising against Moshe and God and their authority. The rebellion is put down rather brutally. The earth opens up and swallows the rabble-rousers. And then God tests the rest of the congregation, ensuring that they do not get any similar ideas. The scenes are, appropriately, biblical. It's no easy thing to create a nation out of oppressed slaves, and the drama is palpable. At one point, the Torah tells us that the people exclaim out of desperation and exhaustion, Hein gavanu avadnu kulanu avadnu, which even if you don't understand Hebrew, you get the rhythmic repetition and alliteration of the phrase, it's best translated as, we have perished, we are lost, all of us, we are lost. There are numerous, numerous interpretations of this line and its redundancy. Some see it connected directly to the loss of life that the Israelites just witnessed. It's just hard to be proximate to others' deaths. Whatever the situation, 
and not feel lost oneself, as if a piece of you has perished. It's as if they were saying to God, you killed them, but you also killed us in some way. I want to share an interpretation of the Malbim Rabbi Meir Leibush ben Yechiel Michal Wisser, a 19th century, originally Ukrainian sage. He says that in watching so many of their fellow Israelites lose their lives, even for justified reasons, they all came into stark confrontation with their own mortalities. We too will die one day. We too, they realized, will have the same end eventually. And according to the Malbim, this proximity to mortality can and should activate one's vitality. Being so close to death can both overwhelm us with thoughts about our death and also reinvigorate our claim on life. I think we can apply this in some ways to our topic. Some of the responses to both tragedies are in line with how the Israelites reacted to the deaths of Korach and his band. It's just very demoralizing to be witness to so much loss and death. It can suck the life out of us. It can steal our breaths. And whether the loss of life is truly tragic and innocent, or even, as with Korach, tinged with some sense of responsibility, we don't wag our fingers at the dead even if they have may, may have taken undue risks en route to their death. Instead, our humanity allows the grief to wash over us. And it can be overwhelming. The kind of overwhelm that can numb us into passivity or inaction, or goad us into behavior of, and words of which may not, we may not be proud in the future. It might push us into a sardonic tweet or a harsh Facebook post making us feel temporarily superior and righteous, but likely covering for our own sense of gavanu, avadnu, kulanu, avadnu, our sense of feeling totally and utterly lost in the face of news that is that awful. And perhaps the Malbim also gives us a dimly lit pathway out. None of us, individually, can solve the infinite worldwide crises that create hordes of miserable people willing to risk lives and perhaps lose their lives on the hopeful road to a better life. But if we are moved by this tragedy, we can choose to be more educated, divert more of our tzedakah to the national and international organizations that are trying to help, devote more time to our own communities ongoing refugee task force that, at least for one asylum-seeking family this year, amongst the hundreds of thousands, we provided a home and food and care and love and the beginnings of a fresh start. Nor can or should we feel that we really have a right to tell anyone how to spend their fortunes, no matter how over-the-top and extravagant some expenditures seem to be, but we can take the punch of the gavanu and the avadnu, the sense that when we hear such a story, a piece of us dies as well. And then perhaps we can transcend it, converting a brush with mortality into a gush of vitality. We can realize that however these vacationers and these asylum seekers lost their lives, 
we will ourselves one day lose ours. And then we can be yet more focused on choices, both careful and courageous, about how we spend our time and our money, seeing and visiting and exploring and truly beholding this great wide world in this short and fragile life. What's the Jewish response to all of this death? It's life. A little more attentively, a little more selflessly and generously, a little more adventurously, with a little more vitality, starting right now. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.